This is Circulating Ideas. I'm Steve Thomas. My guest today is Noah Lenstra, author of Healthy Living at the Library, Programs for All Ages. Circulating Ideas is brought to you with support from listeners just like you. Find out how you can help support the show by going to circulatingideas.com slash support. Welcome to the show. Hi, Steve. Um, I'm thrilled to be here. I wanted to start out with um, asking you what initially drew you into the library field and then what led you to kind of the focus on health literacy? Yeah, so, um, I mean, I, my involvement in libraries has really been lifelong. Um, I mean, I my oldest memory of ever using a computer was uh, at my local library back in the days of the five and a quarter inch floppy disks. Um, I was a volunteer at my elementary school library, um, volunteered with my library when I was doing my undergrad, local public library, and then immediately after my undergrad, got my MLIS um, and uh, got really into research. Um, not a lot of people are doing public library research. Um, and so just um, have, have been doing that. Uh, so it's, um, so it's hard to say kind of where it began. It's just always, it's always libraries have always been a part of my life. And that's, I think at an early on age, I really realized um, this is what I wanted to do uh, with my life and with my career. Um, and, and the healthy living. Uh, so that really came out of my doctoral dissertation when I was uh, doing a study comparing how public libraries libraries and senior centers promote digital inclusion among older adults. Um, and, and really, as I learned more about senior centers, um, and um, a lot of they, they do a lot of healthy living programming, uh, they'll do a lot of meals, uh, they'll do a lot of like uh, Zumba classes. Um, and, and then I'm like, is this happening in libraries? Um, and it was. Um, so in 2014, uh, an ALA commission study found that uh, around uh, one quarter of public libraries during the previous year had offered at least one fitness class. Um, and so as a researcher, I thought that was remarkable. Um, and I thought it was amazing that no one was paying attention to this. Um, and so that's since 2016, that's been kind of my mission is to understand kind of how, how libraries promote healthy living. Um, and this book that I wrote is really um, a kind of practitioner orient, oriented summation of kind of the evidence-based best practices I've discovered uh, since 2016. So before we get into the book, um, can you tell listeners a little bit about the Let's Move initiative? Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, so apologies for not mentioning that. So just um, uh, so as I said, I am a researcher. I'm a professor, but um, I've always been interested in, in community engagement and, and what we call engaged scholarship. Um, and that, that's actually one of the reasons why I came to the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. They're, they're one of um, a few dozen campuses across the country that actually have uh, a community engagement um, endorsement from the Carnegie Corporation. Um, 
So they, it's, it's an institution that really prioritizes community engagement. So um, research and knowledge doesn't stay bound up within uh, the academy, but uh, circulates freely. Um, so let's move in libraries uh, was really my attempt to take the, the knowledge that I was gleaning about how public libraries promote healthy living and, and share that uh, information with, with first with librarians. Um, and now I'm starting to think about how can we get this information into the hands of partner organizations so that they know uh, to reach out to libraries. So get it to the National Recreation and Park Association or the American Public Health Association, for instance, um, but but yeah, so let's move in libraries. Um, uh, and you can just uh, if for those of you listening at home, you can just type in let's move in libraries.org uh, to go to the site. We started um, uh, really focusing on physical activity initially from 2016 to 2018. Um, and then in 2018, uh, we expanded to also encompass food uh, and food access. Um, and food and physical activities uh, were really the cornerstones of uh, former First Lady Michelle Obama's Let's Move campaign, uh, which ran from 2010 to 2016. Um, uh, and actually did uh, a little bit with libraries to the Institute of Museum and Library Services. Um, essentially, Obama wanted to get get food and physical activity promotion into all branches of the federal government. That's that's essentially what Let's Move was. Um, and so IMLS is part of the federal government. Um, and so uh, they actually, with libraries, uh, did quite a bit to promote library participation and summer feeding programs. Um, with some some remarkable success so i've actually gone and uh so just for for folks listening at home um the summer feeding program is an initiative of the u.s department of agriculture um and it uh they try to make sure that when school is not in session kids have access to food uh, and healthy food ideally um and they they do that work by working with community organizations where kids naturally go to during the summer months um including of course libraries um and so um, um, in 2014, Michelle Obama um, worked with uh, the IMLS uh, to promote participation in summer feeding programs. Um, and then uh, it, it just skyrocketed from there. So I've actually looked at the data from the USDA. And between 2014 and 2019, uh, the number of public libraries that served as summer meal sites um, increased fivefold, essentially. It increased from around 400 to over 2,000 um, over a five-year period. Um, and that's that's just uh, an example of the, the types of trends that I, I essentially try to fan the flames of stuff like that. So I see when things are working, when uh, when things are taking off, and, and how can we, through the dissemination of information um, via Let's Move in Libraries, fan the flames of, of things that are really working well. Um, uh, one during COVID nineteen, one of the the flames that I've been trying to fan uh, is the idea of a story walk. Uh, so a story walk, um, as I discuss in the book. Um, was started by uh, Ann Ferguson in, in Vermont, Ohio, working with uh, the Montpelier Public Library. Um, and so it's not a new idea, but uh, during COVID-19, when, when we can't do things inside, um, a lot of people uh, quickly realized, oh, we can <laughs> we can take apart books and post them in walking trails and folks can engage with them without having to congregate. Um, and so I've been fanning that flame, trying to get information out to people. And it's um, it's really it's really taken off. Um, um, and it's it's 
taken on a life that I could not have anticipated. Um, over the summer, um, it got a, a couple mentions from Read Across America and PBS Kids, uh, and they referred back to the Let's Move in Libraries website to learn more. Um, because Ann Ferguson, she's a wonderful person, uh, so I, I'm in close contact with her over email, actually, but she's also re- a retired public health professional who's not <laughs> super up on the latest technology to, to put it uh, delicately um and so she doesn't have the capacity to be pumping out information in the way that i do um and so i've become uh essentially the story walk hype man um <laughs> just uh <laughs> trying to get this out there because this is so that's i mean so that's um i know that's kind of long-winded but yeah let's move in libraries essentially exist to uh fan the flames of of great stuff that's happening in libraries across north america and we actually have a story walk around my branch. So. Great. <laughs> uh, so how can libraries get started with these kinds of programs? Yeah, so um, uh, I think it really starts uh, when when staff are really excited and engaged and interested. So um, what I recommend in the book is that uh, the best way to get started is actually to work internally, to have conversations among your staff about uh, workplace wellness. Um, uh, so think about, uh, could you get uh, administrative buy-in to perhaps have a walking club uh, where staff go for walks uh, before the library opens or after it closes. Um, You could even suggest uh, having paid uh, walking breaks, which a number of libraries actually have where uh, staff can can have paid uh, breaks, uh, maybe one or two a week uh, where they can go and walk. They don't necessarily have to walk, just get outside, get outside of the building and, and refresh and recharge. So, um, that's, that's what I've seen has been, so, um, uh, when, when staff are excited about it, when staff are engaged, then it becomes obvious, uh, where it's not obvious is when you have staff that are not prioritizing health in their own lives and don't feel like their administration is prioritizing health. Um, so, um, that's, that's, that's really the way to get started is to, to change the culture of your workplace. If you, if you're in a culture where health is not a priority, So can you talk a little bit about the importance of working with community partners for these programs and then a little bit to the positivity part of that, but then the challenges that libraries can face working with them as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I really see these as um, requiring partnerships. I would, I would not advise any library to, uh, do most of the programs I discuss on their own. Um, that's not a, a recommendation I would make. Um, uh, I mean, really, where, where these things work the best, uh, we're, we're drawing upon the expertise, the resources of others um, um, to uh, yeah, do things like everything from check out bicycles to uh, distribute seeds, um, start a garden on the green space in front of your library. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's probably unlikely that you and your staff have the expertise to really manage something like that. You may be fortunate and lucky to have someone who really does have that expertise, but it's it's not anything that I would expect um, would necessarily be within the the wheelhouse of your typical librarian. It's certainly nothing that we cover in in the MLIS program that I'm a professor at, and I don't think any other um, <laughs> uh, degree programs do either. Um, because it's yeah, but uh, but it's just. Um, I mean, it really, um, it really 
draws upon really the philosophy of R. David Lanky's. Um, uh, it's really his whole idea of library as platform being the catalyst for for good things happening in the community, where we can do more by by drawing on the resources of the community. Um, so yeah, so that's I mean essentially R. David Lanky's uh, uh, with health uh, as healthy living at the library, library as platform um, unleashing uh, the resources in the community. Uh, so the challenges um, for the, for that the biggest challenge I hear is that um, um, yeah um, people if people don't if people already don't have a relationship with a partner it's kind of a chicken uh, or the egg proposition like once you get that relationship going uh, things you're off to the races um, but the challenge is to see the return on investment that will come from taking the time to uh, build those relationships um, that's that's and then and then uh, secondarily the other challenge is um, what happens when your close contact at an outside organization leaves that organization um so there's oftentimes challenges of sustainability when there's staff turnover um and so yeah so the i think the challenges really come down to relationships um uh, starting them and then sustaining them um and uh, i don't have kind of a, a silver bullet magic <laughs> solution to that but i think having things like memorandums of understanding having um as part of your um work to do an annual check-in with the partner being like oh um uh, we haven't heard from you in a while. I just wanted to check in. Here's some of the things that we've done this past year. Um, I'd love to have a conversation about what you may be planning for the upcoming year, and let's see if we can find ways to work together. Just having having those types of things as part of your institutional culture um, goes a long way to, um, uh, yeah, actually having success. Um, and, and again, if your institution doesn't prioritize that type of outreach, um, it, it can be very difficult. So um, like, like most things in libraries that all comes back to changing the culture of institutions. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's and, and that, those those challenges are basically the same kind of challenges we have with any kind of outreach partner, no matter yes. what the subject is. I mean, it's always yes. um, kind of fitting there, fitting them into us, and mm-hmm. just figuring out the figuring out the good hooks of where we intersect. So. Exactly. No, I, and 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 so for instance, the, the project that I'm actually doing currently, it's called Heal at the Library. So this is a, a project with funding from the Institute of Museum and Library Services. Um, and when I pitched the project to the IMLF, that's exactly what I said. Like, look, I have a particular interest in healthy eating and active living, but if we can figure out how these partnerships work in this domain area, we can essentially use that knowledge for any domain area, whether it's digital literacy, economic development, like this is I mean, partnerships are the future of public libraries, I think. Um, and but there's a surprising dearth of of real, like, in depth uh, advice about how to how to do that. Like, it's something that everyone is scrambling to do. But I don't know of any really great resources on how to actually do it. In in the book, you detail a number of program examples, and they kind of run the gamut of <laughs> um, t- how how the programs go. Can you talk about a few of the examples that you have in the book? There's just a, just a ton of examples that I talk about. So I talk about uh, immersive cooking classes, um, uh, all ages play. So it doesn't have to be anything that uh, kind of um, it's kind of H health with a capital H. Sometimes the best way to promote healthy living is to not talk about health and just make it fun. <laughs> so I talk about things like doing um, bowling uh, with Xbox Connect for older adults, um, which is actually something if uh, you may know, Eric Kleinenberg features 
prominently in his book, Palaces for the People. So um, I was actually tinkle, tickled pink to see Kleinenberg make such a big promotion of healthy living programming, which is essentially what that program is. Um, even though it's not labeled as such, uh, you're getting older adults together and moving their bodies um, multiple days a week. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah, And that's, that's basically at the center of Kleinenberg's description of public libraries. Um, so it's pretty remarkable. Um, but yeah, so it doesn't have to be like health with a capital H, like sit down and eat your vegetables make it fun uh do do like a, a healthy cooking competition <laughs> who can who can make the best dish using these ingredients provided by the cooperative extension um i talk about that uh, program just thinking outside i talk a lot about story walk uh programs uh which uh is essentially just taking apart usually a children's book although could be any kind of visually engaging title um and mounting the pages along a walking trail um and there's just a, um, uh, but I, I, I did um, in the book try to not kind of um, limit the programs I talk about because I really do feel uh, it does, um, it, all, it all comes back to partnerships. So, um, um, yeah, so, and, and honestly, I'm, I'm less interested in the particular programs that are offered and more the partnerships that undergird them. I think oftentimes we say, I don't know, I'm looking for a new program idea. I want to do something new at my library. Um, and that's great. My advice would be uh, <laughs> see who see what others are doing and see if you can uh, hit your wagon to them. So that's, yeah. Um, but there's just uh, and once you hit, once you get involved in those uh, those partnerships, uh, the sky's the limit. You can you can do um, almost anything. Um, you talked a little bit about the pandemic and um, what are some other ways that you've seen that libraries have been able to adjust their health programming to the reality of um, living in a, during a pandemic? Yeah. Um, so I, I think definitely virtual, virtual programming. Um, and, and I think libraries, um, they've probably had the most success with virtual health programming when they had already established a, a, a core audience. Um, so one that comes to mind, uh, the Bethlehem Area Public Library in, in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania, um, they had uh, quite successful um, yoga and Qigong programs. So Qigong is a variant of Tai Chi, um, but they had dedicated followings to those programs. Um, and so when they shifted to doing them on Zoom, kind of that dedicated following just uh, <laughs> went right along with them. And they've <laughs> actually got in some new people as well. So in the... Uh, so, for instance, uh, the yoga class, um, um, uh, the, I was talking with uh, the instructor of the yoga class, and she told me um, uh, that uh, sometimes the, the children, like if the regulars would come regularly, like sometimes when their family was visiting from out of town, they would come and, and join them at the yoga. Well, now there's, uh, even though the class is being offered by the Bethlehem Library in Pennsylvania, they now have someone who's uh, the, da the, the daughter of one of their regulars uh, will regularly join from San Diego, California. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, virtual, I mean, especially if you already have uh, built up a core following, you can pretty easily do a, a lot of these things uh, virtually, um, and libraries have been doing them successfully. Um, um, I mean, cooking classes have been incredibly popular. Um, people trying to figure out what they can do with random nonsense in the freezer. Um, gardening has been insanely popular. Everyone that I've talked to um, says gardening has been huge. Uh, probably the best example of that uh, in Paducah, Kentucky, 
Clifton County Public Library uh, pretty early on in the pandemic. They started uh, a gardening group on Facebook, um, and it just took off like wildfire. Like everyone wanted to share, like, here's what I'm gardening. Here's how are things going with your garden? Um, and so it was a library facilitated uh, platform for for folks in the community to just kind of check in on how their gardens are going, and it struck a nerve. And so, so yeah. Um, and like I said, also doing things outside uh, the story walk. Um, uh, doing things like uh, grab-and-go meals. So maybe you're not going to have the kids sit down and eat at the library, but you can do grab-and-go food distribution. Um, so I've actually been really amazed at seeing how much of what I talk about in the book, libraries have actually been able to transition into this new environment. Um, and it really speaks to just the extraordinary resilience um, of, of libraries as institutions. Um, and, and the best case is how libraries have been able to work uh, closely with partners um I'll tell you, I've heard from multiple people that they actually have stronger relationships with parks and recreation departments now than they ever did before. Um, and that's because everyone has been thrown in to this new reality. Um, and the places that are doing the best are not trying to reinvent the wheel. They're, they're really relying on partners and doing it um, in a concerted, multi-sector way to, to get their community through. Um, and so uh, if you're not connected to partners, uh, you better better start doing it. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> My, that's my soapbox. I mean, it really is. It's, it's nothing. It's nothing glamorous. It's nothing sexy. It's just staying, being connected to your community, and then, yeah, great things happen from that. And so there is challenges. So Parks and Rec, they can be a wonderful partner. They can also be, unfortunately, an antagonist. So I know um, sometimes Parks and Rec are framed antagonistically against libraries. They're both trying to do programming. They're both centers of lifelong learning. They both want to describe themselves as the hearts of the community. Um, and if they don't have a working relationship, it can unfortunately lead to turf wars um, that can be bloody um, and just ugly. <laughs> um, and so uh, it's really just, uh, and, and that's, that's, that's how things continue until uh, a dialogue opens and folks get on the same page. Um, libraries care about health, parks and recreation care about health. Um, what can we do to, to work together to increase our collective impact? Um, and, and one, one great way is that a lot parks and recreation just have a, a different funding model than libraries. Um, typically, parks and recreation, based on the funding they have, they're, un, they're unable to offer things free to the public. They, they usually require people to pay fees, whether fees for classes or fees for uh, rec center membership. Um, uh, and so for, from the parks perspective, to be able to do kind of a taster program at the library is a, a natural win-win. Like, let's... Uh, we're, we're starting this uh, this Zumba class at the rec center. Can we can we go and do a free class at the library? Get the word out. Um, but uh, but again, it's um, n- none of that's possible without without communication, without relationship building. Yeah, and um, if anybody has seen the television show Parks and Rec, you know that the library is the <laughs> yes. portal enemy of Parks and Rec. <laughs> yeah, and and there's it's 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 crazy, but there is a reality to that. Like I've I've heard from dozens, probably more than dozens of people across the country about like um, I'll tell them you should think about doing that with Parks and Rec, and they'll be like we we can't do that. Like they they won't talk with us. Um, we don't talk with them. That's just how things work in our community. So um, you also talk a little bit about um, how we, this subject can get covered in library collections. Um, how can what, what should libraries be keeping in mind to make sure they have this covered well? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, 
Um, that is a really good question. Uh, I, I, I think some of the, the best ways that, that libraries can kind of support this through collections is really, um, yeah, making sure that your collections have a lot of things uh, in particular about uh, outdoor recreation. Um, I think there's uh, a lot of times, uh, a lot of things that I, I discuss and talk about um, are, are kind of outdoor recreated. Um, uh, but then also, I think with with uh, with uh, collections um, relating to, to food uh, and cooking. Um, so uh, obviously, you want to start with your actual collection of of books and and AV materials, um, um, and and really kind of assess: Do we have enough uh, titles to really support healthy living? Um, do we have titles that people are checking out? Uh, do we? Um, but then uh, in the book, I talk a lot about something. Uh, your listeners are probably familiar with called the library of things. Uh, so actually circulating um, objects um, in addition to uh, information and, and AV materials. So, uh, and, and here again, the, the, the sky's the limit. Um, so one of my favorite examples um, is in the state of Vermont. Um, uh, there's a, a statewide partnership with the Vermont Department of Health uh, that enables over 50 libraries across the state to uh, check out snowshoes. Um, so Vermont's a pretty snowy state, um, and from the health department's perspective, they want to get folks um, experiencing cabin fever up and moving and being outside. Um, and so the Vermont Department of Health has far fewer outlets than libraries, so it's like, of course, they'd want to get these snowshoes into the hands of libraries to check out. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, oftentimes, what, if you're trying to uh, do things in the kitchen, oftentimes, I yeah, things can be prohibitively expensive. Um, so I, I think oftentimes the best collections enable people to try before they buy. Um, so maybe you can try... Um, um, a crock pot or, um, yeah, just, uh, I mean, a multitude of different, different cooking, uh, implements so that you can, you can try them out. Uh, gardening equipment has become very popular. A lot of libraries are, are starting gardening, uh, equipment to kind of supplement their seed, seed library. So a lot of libraries that have kind of gotten their, <laughs> gotten their feet, uh, or toes wet through circulating seeds are now thinking about, okay, well, what else could we circulate to promote gardening, um, and people growing their own food, um, uh, and and it's all it all comes down to partnerships. Though I would again, I would not recommend any library purchase this this stuff from from the regular um, collections budget. That would that's not a recommendation I would make. Um, I found that in most cases you can get pretty much everything you want from donations in one form or the other, um, and especially grants from health departments. Uh, a lot of health departments, uh, once you once you start talking with them, um, I've seen this in, in many communities. They they often have the the resources to pay for this types of stuff, but the, if they don't know that libraries are interested in it, they're they're unlikely to suggest it. Um, and and this really goes back to changing the narrative, changing the culture of libraries. Um, there's a lot of people that want. Uh, they have things to give. They have resources to share, um, but they don't think of libraries unless we're out saying, "Hey, we care about health." Um, and so it really has to start with us saying, "Hey, we care about health," um, and and everything follows from that. Um, so we talked a lot about how to get started and how to what the importance of this is. But um, one of the things that's hard sometimes is that once you've got it go started, it's hard to keep going. So can you talk a little bit about? <laughs> Um, keeping up yeah. the momentum, that's a, a, little, a little bit, you have that in the book. <laughs> yeah, no, and that that is absolutely true. So um, maybe you get a grant um, and you do something great and exciting uh, and then the grant funds end and, and everything kind of falls apart. 
or, or working closely with someone from a parks and recreation department and then that individual moves on to greener pastures and, and once again you're left holding the bag um, and it's true uh, sustaining the momentum uh, can be extremely challenging um, so so some of the things that I talk about in the book are um, uh, some of them are simple just kind of keeping track of your partners uh, perhaps having um, an internal uh, record keeping system if you don't already have one just to keep track of of the entities that you're working with, uh, what are the types of things you do with them, um, uh, and just revisiting that annually, being like, hey, um, is this still the best contact for your organization? Um, here's some of the things that we've done in the past. Uh, would you all be interested in working with us to do do similar things in the upcoming calendar year? Um, uh, sometimes memoranda of understanding can be can be helpful, and so an MOU is basically a written document uh, that kind of lays out who's responsible for what. Um, uh, and the Chicago Public Library and the Museum of Science and Industry have had really great success uh, every every year for a program called Science Connect. Um, it was originally called Nature Connect, that so was focused on on nature, um, but it's expanded over the years. Um, but uh, essentially, the library and the museum, once a year, they just have as part of their process, like we're gonna we're gonna check in, revisit this MOU, uh, maybe make some tweaks based on. But yeah, it's just about uh, it's just maintenance, uh, just checking in, kind of making sure that um, if you haven't checked in with a partner and 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 you notice six months have gone by, it's hey, <laughs> just pick up the phone or send an email, being like, hey, haven't haven't heard from you in a while. Just I was just thinking about you and just thinking about what we may, may be able to do together. So just just wanted to touch base, and if you if you'd be interested, maybe we could get on Zoom sometime in the next couple of weeks just to check in and see how things are going. Just just thinking about you all and <laughs> simple things like that. It's not uh, it's not complicated, but it is something new for for a lot of places. So it has to be supported and structured. Um, yeah. And then at the end of the the book, you've got an appendix that has an example of a liability waiver. Um, mm-hmm. And can you talk a little bit about why libraries need to consider this kind of thing? Yes. Uh, so um, unfortunately, we do have to consider issues of liability. We live in a very litigious society. Um, and we also live in a society in which uh, healthcare is not universal. And so when you put those two things together, um, if you and your library are doing anything with food or physical activity, you need to protect yourself. So if you're serving food, if you're doing like a, a tasting demo, um, you need to make sure people are aware that like, hey, if, if you have some sort of allergic reaction, we are not liable. Like you cannot sue the library <laughs> because you ate some food that, that you got at a program. And of course, you and I talk about like if you're doing food programs, you want to have you want to know all the ingredients and yeah, <laughs> ask people to provide their allergens. But even despite all of those precautions, uh, real world things happen. Um and so you just want to protect yourself. I, I sometimes say, uh, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Uh, when I talk about this in presentations, um, and it's, it's really interesting. So yeah, it is important, but it is, it is kind of a sad commentary on health in America that we have to do this. Um, so, uh, I have a lot of friends in Canada, um, and they are, they're kind of baffled by this, to be honest. Like they never have waivers of liability because why would they? Um, people can just go get, <laughs> go to the free clinic if something, something I mean, yeah, and then it's just this culture of like, let's do the library doesn't exist in Canada. So it's just um, an unfortunate reflection of the world we live in. But yeah, check yourself before you wreck yourself. The last thing I wanted to ask is, do you have anything in particular, um, most of the stuff you've been talking about is for adults, anything for Mm. kids in particular? 
Yeah. Um, like the story walks is obviously for kids. But. Yeah. Uh, and I think, uh, I think a lot of it can be, um, and uh, it, it's a good point. Um, and, and sometimes I really think uh, most, most things can actually be done for, for all ages. Uh, so you can do yoga for adults. You can do it for kids. Um, um I think uh, when, when I think of kids and in, uh, in specific, specifically, I think um, uh, a lot of things can really embrace the power of play. So when we think of every child ready to read um, and harnessing and supporting that play, um, I think uh, having having free play programs, free play spaces. Um, I feature in the book uh, the the main library in Roanoke, Virginia, and their children's library actually has a slide, <laughs> so kids can run up the stairs and then slide down. Um, so just really thinking about how how you can promote active play uh, is probably the the best recommendation I would make for for children's librarians. Um, and and thinking of play as not only crafts um, and kind of sitting still, but but really getting getting bodies in motion. Um, and, and thinking about how to also just uh, expose kids to new foods. To new, <laughs> we, we know that like kids, uh, when kids develop their taste, it's really based on lack of exposure. So exposing kids to new foods, uh, trying to make it fun to um, uh, just have, uh, have a fun time cooking and having a fun time moving your body. Um, I've, I've, I've had the, I was at the uh, Association for Library Services to Children, uh, their, their biennial institute when it was in Cincinnati uh, in 2018. Um, and we did our session twice and both times it was essentially standing room only. Like, uh, <laughs> I think it's a, it's a much easier sell for kids. I think, again, this is just kind of a sad reflection on American society. Like, um, uh, we don't really have a problem with kids uh, jumping around and moving their bodies. Uh, everyone freaks out when adults start doing that um and that's why why would that be <laughs> that to me seems like the wrong um why, why is it so worrisome to see adults moving why would that be something that librarians would be afraid of or concerned about right yeah well and we also can't get people to wear masks so <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but that's yeah amazing. so that's, that's a different that's, uh, <laughs> yeah so that is a that is a, a reality yeah just um yeah oh my yes <laughs> <laughs> pandemic life. <laughs> all right. Well, um, again, the book is Healthy Living at the Library Programs for All Ages. Um, if listeners wanted to follow up with you to find out more about the book or about um, kind of health literacy in general, how could they get in touch with you? Yeah, so the easiest way is to just go to letsmoveinlibraries.org, uh, and we have a contact us form at the bottom of the, the site. Um, we also, with Let's Move in Libraries, we do a free monthly newsletter. We're, we're up to about uh, 3,000 subscribers. Um, we are on social media, on, on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Um, um, and people are always welcome to just reach out to me directly. So it's just my last name, L-E-N-S-T-R-A at uncg.edu. Um, so uh, like I said, I try to be engaged and always welcome folks to just uh, reach out directly if they have any questions. Um, uh, and really, like I said, I mean, I'm, I'm passionate about kind of changing the culture of health in America. And I think libraries have an extraordinary opportunity to kind of get involved um, and not do it by themselves, but to really get in the mix um, and make a big difference in their communities. Well, and I think, I think your book will be a good um, tool to help people do that. So um, Great, go to um, ABC Clio or your local bookstore or whatever and <laughs> get a copy. Yeah. Um, thanks for coming on, Noah, and uh, stay healthy. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks, thanks, Steve. Yeah, you too. Circulating Ideas is produced in the suburbs of Atlanta. 
views expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of my place of work or the place of work of guests. For past interviews, visit circulatingideas.com and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or your podcast app of choice, and help others find the show by leaving a rating or a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at CircIdeas or like the show's Facebook page. Theme music is by Pamela Klicka, and the logo is by Shandy Fry. Thanks for listening and keep circulating your ideas. Thank you.